We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, and I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. That's going to be on page 714 if you grabbed one of the Bibles. And let me remind you, we're in a book study. We're going to be working through the entire book, and you're going to need a Bible every week. And you can use your smartphone. We always provide Bibles in the lobby, and we encourage you to pick one up if you need one. And you can do that every week if you need to. So uh, please, and we're not. this passage won't be on the screen. Anytime we have a supporting passage, we put that up. But when we're in the text, we want you to see it for yourself right on your screen or on your page. So here we go. Today, Dan McConchie is a state senator of Illinois. In 2007, Dan was riding his motorcycle in a Chicago suburb. I have to be careful about using illustrations about motorcycles. When Dan was riding his motorcycle, a car came into his lane, which was such a surprise, he moved over a little bit and was hit head-on by the oncoming traffic. Two weeks later, he woke up in a level one trauma center. He had six broken ribs, a deflated lung, a broken clavicle, a broken shoulder blade, and five broken vertebrae. And the worst thing was he had a spinal cord injury that would leave him as a paraplegic in a wheelchair. Um, His surgeon told his wife, Afterwards, it would be a miracle if he ever walked again. Today, Dan is still in a wheelchair. In 2016, he said in an interview with the Washington Times, Washington, D.C. newspaper, here's what he said. What I learned is that this life isn't for our comfort. Instead, the purpose of this life is that we become conformed to the image of Christ. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen when everything is unicorns and rainbows. It instead happens when life is tough, when we are forced to rely upon God through prayer just to make it through the day. That is when He is most at work in our lives, molding us in to who He designed us to be. And then he writes, my prayers are different today than they were eight years ago. Back then, I looked at God like Santa Claus. I asked him to send nice things my way. Now, I have one prayer that I pray more than any other. Lord, may I be able to say at the end of the day that I was faithful. That's pretty interesting. Dan McConchie understands what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He understands that his life isn't about his comfort. Just like Krista's story, her life is not about her. Instead, the purpose of life is to be conformed to the image of Christ. So as we begin our new series... We're going to have the opportunity to meet Jesus and then to grow as a follower of Jesus to follow the leader.
Luke himself was a first century Christ follower and a close companion to the Apostle Paul. And we saw that, if some of you were here for the book of Acts, uh, Luke uh, was a writer of the book of Acts and a close companion, a traveling companion, companion, uh, uh, a missionary with the Apostle Paul. He was both a physician and an historian. Um, he probably wrote both Luke and Acts around 60 to 62 AD. Now just think, roughly it's about 30 years after the death of Christ, okay? So here are some key features from the Gospel of Luke. And you can follow along on your outline, I would encourage you. And we all actually, uh, some of you don't like to take notes, and that's okay, you don't have to take notes, but you know what, we all learn better when we take notes, and um, so that might be a good idea. First of all, Luke used many sources in his historical research, including eyewitnesses, as well as the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, okay? Uh, Sometimes we get the idea that, well, God sort of just zapped this writer, and then he started writing, and he just wrote furiously until the whole thing was done. Nope. God superintended this. This is inspired from God, by God. It is God's word, it is trustworthy, and it is accurate. But Luke, follower of Christ, carefully researched his work. Next, Luke gives extended background around the birth narrative of Jesus found nowhere else in the Bible. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 1 has 80 verses. This is background to the birth of Jesus. Luke has nine miracles and 13 parables found not in Matthew, Mark, or John. Luke writes about money and possessions more than any other writer. So you got that coming. The opening of the book in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it's kind of like a preface to the book or a prologue. So look at your text. Look right at verse 1. Many have undertaken, Luke writes, to draw up account of the things you've been, that have been fulfilled among us. So Luke's uh, writing, he's doing research with the intention to uh, go back to the things that have been fulfilled. What are the things that have been fulfilled already among God's people in the first century? Well, he's not talking about all the Old Testament. He's talking about Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, about Jesus coming, the life of Christ, his death his burial, and his resurrection. Those are the latest things that God's people are so interested to understand. Verse 2, he says, Just as they were handed down by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and the servants of the word. Who were those first eyewitnesses? He's referring to the 12 disciples, the, uh, those who became apostles, are, are the primary, this primary group here. So, My assumption is Luke interviewed, if not everyone, everyone who was still alive at that point. And uh, James, the brother of John, was already had been put to death. In verse 3, he says, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So this is Luke's approach. He was a Gentile, not a Jewish man. This makes him unique, because most of the Bible is written by the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. And um, he did 
careful research. Luke had a Western mindset, not an Oriental mindset. And he was very interested in the facts. And he was a logical, detailed person. He did careful research, consulting many eyewitnesses. And um, he's going to start the story as we come to it today, the results. Then he says, I did decide to write in an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke's going to write an orderly account. We must be careful that we do not expect first century writers to write like we would like. We would like everything in chronological order. That wasn't that important to them. Sometimes the theme was the most important thing about getting the right information about this particular time or event and getting the right background. It wasn't like, oh, A, B, C, D. That's us. That's our education and training. We can't just superimpose that. Now, pretty much Luke is pretty chronological, but there are some events that he has different purposes for putting them in different places. Uh, Theophilus is, uh, the, as some of you know, means lover of God. And, uh, but probably Theophilus here is not just a sort of imaginary person who is a lover of God and that Luke wrote for everybody who loves God. He did write for everybody who loves God, but Theophilus is probably a real person. He's called most excellent Theophilus. There's a good reason to think that he was a, a government, a high-ranking government official who was a brand-new believer in Jesus. Probably also, Theophilus helped finance Luke's work to cover his expenses. Not so that Luke would be wealthy, but so the expenses would be covered as he took this time and uh, wrote this down. And he did this so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. For Theophilus, he wants his faith to be confirmed by the facts and the truth. And so... um, That's his intention. And he just tells us right from the beginning. Um, So let's go to verses 5 through 17. And we have a birth foretold. A lot of people don't know much about this. We just think about the birth of Jesus. Uh, But this is an important birth announcement. And in verse uh, 5 and 6, we meet the couple. Luke is a uh, very detailed in recording of events. So He's going to just unload a ton of information that you can read right over. But for Luke, it's important detail. It's important information. These are important facts. He says, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah with his wife Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron. Okay, that's nice. Let's go on. Well, Herod was a puppet king from about 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. By the way, the birth of Christ wasn't at zero. The birth of Christ was closer to 4 B.C. It's our, the, our calendars aren't inspired by God. And everybody knows that in the scholarly world. Um, so Herod was a puppet king. He was a Jewish man. He was appointed by Rome. He was Jewish, but not necessarily religious. Judea, his kingdom, is uh, the southern kingdom of Israel in the land of Israel in the first century. 
It's not very big. It's like a large county for us. But it was important in God's program, in God's plan, because Jerusalem and the temple were in Judea. Um, Zechariah was a priest, and he was just one of 24 divisions. The divisions were appointed by King David 900 years earlier. 24 divisions, their purpose was to serve at the temple and to provide care and food and sheep and cattle for worship at the temple and to uh, feed all of the priests and take care of all the priests and all of the nation. Um, Elizabeth, his wife, is a descendant of Aaron. Um, Aaron is a Levitical priest. So Elizabeth and Zechariah have parentage of, I'll say it this way, having trouble with my current state of my speech. Elizabeth was the daughter of a priest. Her husband was the priest because he was the son of a priest. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, believing in the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. This is a very high commendation for any couple. Oh, that God would say that about Jerry and Sue someday. They were fully devoted followers of the true and living God. The occasion, verses 8 through 10, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go to the temple of the Lord and burn incense. There are about 18,000 priests in the first century who were qualified to do this. They had to be a descendant of Levi, also a descendant of Aaron. They had to be over the age of 20. And uh, they had to be physical and in very good physical health. Um... It was Zechariah's turn with his division of the 24 to go to the temple and serve. They did this for a week, for once a year. One week a year. So this is a big deal. To go to the temple where God is worshipped, where God is present in the most holy place. And uh, Zechariah has been called in. Not only that, he was chosen by lot. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. A priest can be chosen by lot to serve in the temple by going into the temple, into the holy place, and burn incense, and that's what he was asked to do. It happens only once. Once you have been asked, you can never do it again. So this is like playing in the big leagues for Zechariah. This is a huge opportunity. And uh, so... He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple and burn incense. Um, This was an honor. It was highly esteemed once in a lifetime. Verse 10, And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So here they are at the temple. There are a lot of people there for prayer. From 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. is a time of prayer. And Zechariah's job 
was to burn incense during that time and to pray in the most holy place. He was the only one in the most holy place, uh, in the temple, in this sacred room. And so he's there, godly man, and he's there to pray. And he's as close as you can get to God in the place of worship, except for the high priest who goes in one step further to the most holy place. And that only happens once a year. So here's Zechariah. And then we see the messenger to Zechariah in verses 11 and 12. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So Zechariah is praying. And then an angel just shows up right at the altar of it. That's his job to be at the altar of incense. And to provide the incense. And the incense, symbolic of the prayers of God's people. And the sovereign God of the universe chose this instant and this time to act and to speak. And what we don't always think about is the God of the universe has been silent for over 450 years. Or 400 years, 430 years. We have no record of God speaking to his people. For that long. And as Luke tells the story. And he's done the research. And here. Is an angel. Speaking for the Lord God Almighty. When Zechariah saw him. He was startled and was gripped with fear. Here's this guy. He's a godly man. He believes the scripture. He believes in the supernatural. He believes God answers prayer. And there he is. And guess what? God is answering prayer. And. Zechariah scared out of his socks. How would you respond if you saw an angel? I, I do believe in angels. I, I believe very... The, the Bible is clear that angels were created by God. They're spiritual beings. They don't have a physical body, but they may appear in a human body. And they are messengers, and they often communicate for God especially in special times and special places, and that's exactly what this is. This is an historic event, and God is beginning to start the clock and begin moving once again to accomplish his plan. And Zechariah was startled, and he was gripped with fear. He did not expect this. He wanted God to answer, but he is totally shocked. People have died in the past when angels have shown up, especially when you mishandle something that belongs to God. You know what? I think I'd have been just as much afraid as Zechariah. Zechariah, and we'll see how Zechariah responds here. Um, The birth announcement comes in verses 13 through 17. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. If you read through the Bible, a lot of you know that uh, this is pretty common for angels. They show up, scares people to death. Uh, because I'm guessing it's, they're so brilliant, there's so much light, and there's, it's obviously a glorious experience, and there's no way to just say this is that and just put it in a little box to, to tell what happened. It's an amazing supernatural event. And first thing angels have to do is to, when they see humans is say, don't be afraid. I'm not going to scorch you. 
Just relax. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying for years to have a child. They have been praying for years. Zechariah and Elizabeth are beyond childbearing years. And there was no answer. For years and years and years, there has been no answer. An angel shows up and says, your prayer has been heard. Zechariah is at the temple. He's praying. He wants God to answer. He doesn't expect God to answer. And now God is going to answer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call him John. Personal name. You don't get to pick your baby's name. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. And the information is starting to come fast to Zechariah. This is a special child. He will have a huge impact. You're not just going to get a baby. You've been praying for a baby. It's so important to, to pass on their legacy, to pass on their name. Uh, for a family to have a, a male child somewhere in the mix so the heritage can continue. And uh, they're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. He's going to be a joy and delight. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. There is no other human common, higher commendation for a human than that. To be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. This wasn't commanded for very many people. He will, he will have a dedicated focus, and it will be like a, what, what is called a Nazarite vow, just this high commitment to simple living and to have a purpose to serve God. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. This is extremely unique, because in the Old Testament, um, the Holy Spirit would come on people for different purposes at different times, like a prophet of God in the Old Testament. And a prophet would be a follower of God, but he wouldn't necessarily have the Holy Spirit until it was time for him to speak for God. And the Holy Spirit would come on him and he would be able to speak. He would be able to write the things that God had for him. Unique. Not every person. And then we come to the New Testament and what we understand for the sake of the church is, is when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them. But this child will be full of the Holy Spirit from birth. That is not normal. And your children are not full of the Holy Spirit from birth either, are they? But this is something that happens as we engage Christ and as we place our faith in Christ and then the Holy Spirit comes to live in it. But this child is very unique. He will have the Holy Spirit from birth. He will be full of the Holy Spirit. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He's going to have a great ministry 
calling people to repent, which means turning their hearts to God. If they haven't been listening, if they've been doing their own thing, this son, his name is John. He is going to call people to turn their hearts to God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And though disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, this angel is telling Zechariah about his son, John, and that he is going to be a great man. But now we're starting to pick up some interesting clues that tie him back to the Old Testament prophecy. He's going to go before the Lord. There's three passages in the Old Testament where this is going to connect with. He's going to go in the spirit and power of Elijah. He is not going to be Elijah, but Elijah lived 800 years before the birth of Christ. He's not going to be Elijah, but he's going to be like Elijah. He's going to turn the hearts of the parents because some of the parents are really slack in their relationship with God And it's impacting their kids. And the kids aren't learning about the true and living God. And the impact of this man, John, will begin to turn parents toward their kids and help them see the significance of loving God and loving their neighbor and following the true and living God. And he's going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This John is going to have a ministry of preparing God's people, getting God's people ready. For who? For the Lord, because he's coming. And this is the announcement. Now it's happening. We've been waiting. So let's go back and look quickly at one of those passages. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, Malachi is written around, let's say, 430 B.C., roughly, before Christ. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. He's the last prophet. In chapter 3, as a prophecy, God says through Malachi, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. So God says in the future, I'm going to prepare someone who's going to deliver a message for me. His role, prepare the way before the Lord, before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. That's another messenger, the messenger of the covenant. And he is the Lord, and his name is Jesus. And he fulfills that prophecy when he goes into the temple in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Another passage is Malachi chapter 4. Same book, and uh, here again, we touch on this subject. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, before final judgment on earth. He will turn their hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. I'm going to send a messenger, and his job is to turn the hearts of people toward God and prepare the way 
and he's going to have an impact on parents and children. And their hearts are to be ready for the Lord that's coming. If they don't get their hearts ready, then there's going to be judgment in the first century. Um, so, how does, how does Zechariah respond to this? Verses 18 through 22, a speechless father. Look at, look at his question, verse 18. So, is Zechariah excited about becoming a father? Not so much. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Now, Zechariah is a godly man. He's just been told he's going he's to become a father, and he's going to have a son, and he's going to be a great man of God. And it's like Zechariah is thinking, are you sure you have the right person? Maybe that's one of the other priests, and you just made a mistake. He says, I'm an old man. I understand that part. And my wife is well along in years. And he thinks, he's not sure. He's been told. He has questions. I'm a person that asks questions. I like the facts. I like the details. I think I could have done this too. I'm not sure about this. I need more information. Please help me. The answer, verse 19 through 20. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I think he was firm when he answered. I stand in the presence of God. By the way, I'm just, I'm, I, I usually stand in the presence of God. Now I'm standing in the presence of you, Zechariah. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. What's your problem? What else do you want? And now you will be silent, not able to speak until this day happens, because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. God has appointed a time. These words will come true. So, Zechariah, you want proof? Here it is. You will not speak. Result, verses 21 and 22. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed along in the temple. So apparently, Zechariah... Is he confused? What's, is he overwhelmed? And he has, he has to have some time to process. He can't speak. Um, what does he do from here? What does he do when he goes outside? And the people are waiting for him. You know, they've been praying. And is, is, the, is, is the priest still alive? Did something bad happen in there? What kind of event was that? Verse 22, when he came out, he could not speak to them. Because the prophecy came true. What the angel said, they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but, re- but was unable to speak. Well, how would you come out like this, and you just had an event with an angel, and the, the angel's just spoken a great promise to you, and you questioned it, and then now you can't speak. And now you've got to go out and tell people what happened. And he's, he's probably trying every kind of thing to, and he, I, he, they may have thought he was a bit beside himself. Fortunately, Elizabeth is a bit different. A grateful mother to be, verses 23 through 25. And right away, look what happens. She becomes pregnant. When his time of services was completed, when his week was up, he returned home. And now he's got to figure out how to tell his wife. You won't believe what happened, but he can't speak. 
Fortunately, most women can read their husbands pretty well. And somehow, whether he has to write it all down, she understands. Apparently, they waste no time. And Elizabeth became pregnant. And this is not a virgin birth, by the way. And Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, remained in seclusion. So this godly woman, who is an older woman now, not expecting to become pregnant, is now pregnant. How do you tell those people that have perhaps scorned you in the past for being an older person and not being able to have children? Because sometimes people thought, well, the reason you can't have children is because of something you've done. God is disappointed with you. And she has to deal with that. And she remains in seclusion for five months. Probably a really important time for her with God as well. And she gives God the credit in verse 25. The Lord has done this for me, she said. She recognizes this is a gift from God. God has answered her prayer. She is joyful. In these days, she said, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. God has been gracious. God has shown favor. God has given her the desire of her heart. Not just a child, but a child who will be a great man of God, who will have a great impact for God. So let me uh, share a few lessons. That's our first message, verse 1 through 25. It's the announcement of John the Baptist. Here are some lessons. Number one, expect God to use ordinary people who are faithful. Expect God to use ordinary people who are faithful. Zechariah and Elizabeth were ordinary people. They weren't wealthy. They weren't of a high social status. They were pretty simple people. They were ordinary people, just like you and me. They were faithful people. They were faithful to their God. And God used them. God used them to raise up a great man of God. God can work through you and me just as well. Ordinary people. He wants us to be faithful He can use us to accomplish his purposes. And when we know we're being used by God, whatever it may be, there's great joy. Second lesson, allow God's plans to interrupt your plans. Allow God's plan to interrupt your plans. Zechariah and Elizabeth wanted a baby. God didn't answer. They were well beyond childbearing years. And um, they, didn't, they had uh, some limitations by now. They didn't have the energy that younger parents have. That's why it's good to have children when you're younger. Um, but Zechariah and Elizabeth soon will have a toddler running around in their home. And that is going to interrupt their plans. 
It's a good thing. But it's not how they planned it. This is not like the ideal, at least. One could make that argument. Now the whole trajectory of their lives would be changed. Will you allow God to interrupt your plans? We just leave that open. Make plans, trust God with them, but leave them open. In uh, 2007, God kind of radically interrupted my plans. We uh, were living very comfortably in another community in Wisconsin. Um, We we had uh, built a home in 2002. We were very comfortable living there. Um, I had a full-time ministry staff of six people. We had two full-time office staff, and I had a full-time assistant. Um, we had a nice salary. We had been there for 21 years. And God interrupted our schedule and our plans. And he said, now I want you to leave here. And I want you to go to the place that I will show you. In December, right before 2007, I asked Sue, I said, Sue, would you go with me to the place that God, if I become Abraham, will you become Sarah and go with me to the place that God will show us? And she said, yes, if I don't have to become pregnant. (laughs) And that place was Eau Claire. And that place was about starting a new church. Will you allow God to interrupt your plans? Thirdly, learn to take God at his word. Zechariah kind of fumbled the ball when he was given information from God about what was to come next. And then, how can I be sure? I don't know if I can trust you. And so there's some little consequences here. Become a sign. It's another supernatural sign to prove that God's word is true. Taking God, God at his word is just living by faith. God gives us instruction, and then he wants us to follow that instructions, taking God at his word. God gave Zechariah instruction. He wanted him to receive that instruction. Uh, I've shared my story several times, and I came to faith in September 1974, but you start to figure out the age thing right there. And... Um, So this is in September. By November of 1974, just a little over a month later, I became convinced that God wanted us to tithe or give 10% of our finances back to God. I had never done anything like this before. And I understood from Scripture that God wanted me to be generous and God wanted me to give and that was an act of faith. So I talked to Sue about this. Let's do this. She agreed. And so we started tithing. And so we had never done it before. And it, truthfully, it was fun, but it just about killed us at first because of our debt. I got some, I got some uh, wise advice from a pastor. And so we pulled back that 10%, actually to 7%. And we paid down our credit. And then we went to seminary, which was a huge decrease in our income. But we never changed the amount 
that we were giving, we just decreased our income. That was 1976. So in 1976, I did the math, we were giving 9.2% of our income. That's 9.2% of our income before taxes. Do you want to give the government first and then God second? Or do you give God off the top? We chose to give God off the top. And since that time, we have been able to increase almost every year the, the percentage that we have been able to give. Now, all I'm saying is, I, I'm not, I don't really want to brag. I just want to say, that's an act of faith. Taking God at his word about giving generously. Can you trust God that he's going to take care of you if you give generously? We've learned that. We can. Uh, and fourthly, expect God to answer your prayers in his way, in his time. Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed for a son for many years. God did not answer in the normal way. He answered in the bigger picture. Because they're going to be involved in an historic event. God has not spoken to his people audibly, verbally, written for 450 years. And now he announces good news. He is going to be sending his son. That's the plan. He he is unfolding this whole story. And God has plans for you too. God has plans for you this week, next week, next month, next year, 10 years from now. God is unfolding your plans and your story. Expect God to answer your prayers. It might not be when you want the answer. God will answer. He answers yes, no, and wait. Expect God to answer your prayers. And one of the biggest questions is, are you okay with God's answer? Um, Can you trust God with your job? You can pray about it. Are you okay with God's answer? You can trust God with your health. You can trust God with your money. You can trust God with your kids. You can trust God with your parents. Are you okay when God is God and you're not? Can you be okay with God like Dan... Makanchi, who had a prayer that he most often said that at the end of the day, God would find him faithful. Not based on his circumstances, based on what God wanted to do in his life. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, I thank you for the Gospel of Luke and the opportunity to focus on um, the birth of Jesus during this Christmas season. And today we learn about the person you sent ahead of Jesus.
to announce that Jesus was coming. Father, help us uh, to learn as we uh, learn to follow Jesus, as we follow our leader. When things go well, even when things don't go well, where else can we turn when things go well and when things don't go well? Thank you that you answer prayer. Thank you that we can take you at your word at face value. May we be submissive toward you. May we be open. May our hearts be open to you. May we allow you to interrupt our plans or our schedules. In Jesus' name, amen.